So the last time that we uh, mentioned this verse was in February. It was the last time that, that I was here before the um, uh, change in services and, and lapse in services. And I mentioned in verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We preached on that actually over the last several months. And then uh, the second one that it mentions in uh, verse 42 is fellowship. The third one's breaking of bread and prayers. So after experiencing going several months without being able to worship together in person, I sort of uh, have a different view on fellowship than what I did before. And sometimes we have uh, events in our life that, that sort of change how we look at things. It's the first time in my whole life that I've gone that long since I uh, started going to church when I was about 12, off and on, and then on a regular basis at 15 years of age. And I realized that that's the longest I'd gone without being with a church family uh, that three-month period. And also realized that it, it wasn't only myself that missed the fellowship of the saints and worshiping together in a corporate setting, but then other folks begin to express themselves, folks here at Mount Carmel, folks across the state of Maryland, uh, folks across the United States begin to express their anxiety for not being able to meet. And so... What is it? What is it that causes us to feel that it's important to be able to meet together in a church fashion, in a corporate setting? Why do we go to church? Why? I want to look at several reasons that I feel like are emphasized in the scripture on why we go to church. Now I view fellowship different than I viewed it back in February after being without it. Once we experience various things, we view things oftentimes different than we did before. If you've had a difficult child that you are rearing or have reared or grandchild, you look at things a little bit different than maybe before that experience. My grandparents often referred to and talked about growing up and starting their family in the Depression. And that was a traumatic time for them and it left an impact upon them that affected them the rest of their life. The way they looked at things, the way they valued things, was completely different. There's folks on both sides of the spectrum regarding this coronavirus. In fact, I talked to folks last night from Texas on both extremes. I talked to some on one side that said, well, I'm a Texan. And it's not going to affect me, and, and I'm, I'm not going to pay any attention to it. And I've known some of those folks for 30, 40 years. And then I've known others that have been personally affected by it. I could tell you personally that we've lost a number of residents, as I mentioned to you earlier, that was directly related to the coronavirus. So the two things that I know about it, is that it's highly contagious and that for older folks it's oftentimes highly fatal. So our experiences cause us to look at things differently. They do. So I look at fellowship different now that I've been without it. Part of the fellowship occurs when we're able to be in the Lord's house and worship together. There's at least two reasons why we 
shouldn't go to church. Now, I've heard a whole lot of reasons. But there's at least two that I feel like are valid reasons. Number one, our health is a concern. I believe it is. If you have something that's contagious, my mother has taught me, she says, don't you go to church and you give it to somebody else. Our health can keep us from going to church. I knew one brother that said, or because of health reasons or health concerns, would be a valid concern. But I knew one brother that was elderly, and he had a lot of health issues, and he said, I go to church every opportunity I get because someday I may not be able to go to church. And I want to try to go as much as I can. His wasn't uh, contagious situations. Another reason that we sometimes may not be able to go to church is that it may be a valid work-related issue. There are folks in law enforcement, there are folks in health care, there's folks in a variety of aspects that, that must fulfill a vital role. But I can tell you that something that I encourage you to do, I remember Carla and I remember Ellen and there's different ones that sometimes have to work and there's a necessity in that area. And I've experienced it myself. But the whole time that we're working, the whole time that we're working and not able to be at church, we ought to be praying that God would somehow, someday, by His power, open an opportunity for us to have an employment where we could be at church. So I'll be praying to that end as well. So why do we go to church? What's the reason that we do? What is it that causes that anxiety inside of us if we have been without being able to go to church for a period of time? What is it that causes us to get anxious about it? Is it that we just want to oppose authority or just want to oppose the government or something like that and take a stand? That's not the right reason. The scriptures give us clear reason on why we go to church. Number one. Number one, the Lord tells us to go to church. Now, I was brought up in a conservative environment in West Texas. And we did not have the luxury of questioning authority. And it started with my mother and father. There was never an opportunity to discuss something that they instructed us to do. They had full authority because God had given them the authority as a parent to train the child to the best ability that they possibly could. And we did not have the authority to question, we didn't have the right to question the authority of our parents. And we, it was understood. And we didn't question authority at school. There was a respect for those that were in the position of leadership at school. I remember one time, um, I, I'll just, I'm not going to share that particular experience, but uh, uh, my mother arranged for me to have a ride around with the policeman, and I was about nine years old to learn a valuable lesson, and, and uh, uh, I'm really old now, but I still remember the lesson that my mother arranged for me. But I'll tell you what, whether or not we question authority, which I feel like that we uh, should have respect for those that are in positions of authority, 
If God says do it, we ought to do it. Period. He's the authority. Parents might make mistakes. Teachers might make mistakes. Principals might make mistakes. But God is always right. And when God tells us to do something, then all of the discussion aspect or negotiation aspect goes out the door. And God has told us that He has established an entity for us to worship in. And if for no other reason that we do it, we should do it because God says to do it. So let's, uh, let's look at a few verses that I feel like will support this. And you, you can jot these down if you want to. Okay, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 33. We'll start with Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first. Seek ye first. Did you know that everything else that we generally, our preferences that we would put in place in not worshiping the Lord. I'm not talking about a health situation or a health concern or a work-related situation that you, that you have to experience. But if it's a pleasure-related item, then it's a second. And first of all, there should be in our lives, in our mind, there should be a real large spread or gulf between what's first and what's second. Elder Sonny Powell said there could be a whole lot of seconds, but there's only one first. And so Jesus Christ gives us this instruction right here. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He says, seek ye first. Did you know it ought to be a priority in our life, and we should set it as a priority, not on Sunday morning, But we should set it as a priority on Monday following and we should start praying for and asking that the Lord would be with us in our worship and in our uh, fellowship. And we should be uh, preparing mentally for that all week long so that when we when it comes Sunday morning, we're already uh, in cruise control mentally to be in the Lord's house. We've been preparing to be in the Lord's house. We've been looking forward to being in the Lord's house. We've been excited about being in the Lord's house. So when Sunday comes, it's just automatic that we're in the Lord's house because we've been preparing all week. Because we've been taught by God, by Jesus Christ, that it should be first in our life. Second one right here. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. He says, let us hold fast our profession of our faith without wavering for he that uh, he that is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke. Now, anybody here know what provoke means? If, if you had any siblings growing up, I, I grew up with two sisters in the back of a little Volkswagen car. And if you, if you ever experienced that, you know what provoking means. Uh, I was accused of provoking my sisters. And usually I paid the price for it. But right here, the provoking that he's talking about is provoking or encouraging you in something that's good. And he says right here, he says, And let us consider one another to provoke or encourage unto love and good works. And he says right here, he said, First of all, we're to seek first the kingdom of God. And here he says it again right here. He says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. So much more... As you see the day approaching, exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. What's he talking about, about the day approaching? What is he referring to right here? I believe that we don't have to look too far to realize that that day is approaching. 
I, I, I can tell you from my personal experience that this doesn't appear to be the same world that I grew up in. I don't, I, I, I don't feel like that I've changed that much, but I feel like that the world that I grew up in has changed a lot. So let's look at what, how he describes the world to come. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know that in the last days, he basically starts out and he says, we're experiencing the last days and I'll describe the last days to you. He says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. They're here. It's not something that we're looking into or down the road. It's just a fact. These are perilous times. Here's some descriptions of the last days. He says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers. They'll be disobedient to parents. They'll be unthankful and they'll be unholy. Does that describe anything that you hear or see around you? It's not just talking about little children being disobedient to their parents. It's talking about folks at all ages being disobedient to parents. And look what he says right here. He says, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Wow. Doesn't that describe? I mean, you don't have to go many days before you can hear this very outline right here. It doesn't stop there. Traitors, heady, high-minded. Ever hear about anybody that's high-minded? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Boy, if there's ever been a time that that describes an age, it's now. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. He goes on down to say, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse, verse 7. Got some smart folks that are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 when he says, so much the more when you see the day approaching. Why does he say this right here? For the child of God that sees all this stuff confusing, unsettling, seemingly in disarray and falling apart all around us, for the child of God, there is something that you can get in worshiping God with the fellowship of the saints that's going to help you and see you through this most difficult time, this most difficult age. You're not going to find it, as far as I know, out in the world. But you're going to find it in the Lord's house. That's why he says right here, he says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But he says, exhorting and encouraging one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. He says, when you look around and you see all of the confusion and you see all of the anxiety and you see things that seemingly are out of control. He says, you've got something that's going to help you hit the reset button and that is to go to the house of the Lord and be in the fellowship of the saints and it's going to help you get through a difficult time it'll make a difference 
That's how God designed it. So the first reason is that we should go to church because the Lord tells us to. The second one right here that, uh, oh, I love this. I love this verse. Isaiah chapter 61. Just read a few verses right here. Just a little, little tidbit. Everybody has their own personal way of reading and studying the scriptures. And when I'm reading the scriptures, there's some verses that, that I feel like that are just meant for me. And then there's other verses that I feel like are meant for me and you. And so when I read this verse, sometimes when I'm, when I'm uh, 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 studying, I'll write down scriptures or I'll write down verses or I'll write down something that's really important and I'll have it on a piece of paper. And if it's important, I'll put a star by it. If it's real important, I'll put two stars by it. And if it's real, real important, I put three stars. And this was a three-star verse right here. When I read this, I thought, I don't want to forget this verse. And I sure don't want to forget to share it. Because this is a powerful verse. The second reason we go to the house of the Lord is we get to hear the gospel preached. And there's something that's greatly beneficial in the gospel message. We don't believe that the gospel gets us to heaven. We believe that that's by the blood of Jesus Christ and we're going to live in heaven eternally someday because of what Christ has done for us. But I tell you what, there's a great benefit to the gospel. And right here it is. Isaiah 61 Verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Isaiah said. We need the Spirit of the Lord. We need more than anything else in our worship the Spirit of the Lord. We need the Spirit of the Lord to interpret His Word. We need the Spirit of the Lord to accompany the preaching. We need the Spirit of the Lord to inspire the preached Word. Now Isaiah said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach. Now, I like how Elder Bradley started his message this morning. He said, with all the negative news and stuff that's around, he said, I'm going to share with you this morning some good news. And there is some good news. And it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. Did you know that every gospel minister that's truly called of the Lord, if he's really called of the Lord, he wants to be used of the Lord simply to help the Lord's people. He's not called to win debates or arguments, he's not called to make a name for himself. He's called of the Lord and given the desire to help folks. And Isaiah says right here, the Lord has called me and the Lord has blessed me with the spirit and the Lord's put it on my heart and the Lord's anointed me and the Lord's given me a message that comes from the Lord. And the purpose of that message is to help the Lord's people. Read this right. This is so good. This is a three star. I don't go up to five stars. I do three, one, two, and three. And this is a three star in my studies. He says, The Spirit of the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. You find somebody that's distressed and has a heavy heart, that's troubled with their own sin, troubled with their own experiences, Troubled with their own despair. And he says, I'm going to tell you that there's some good news. And it's in Jesus Christ. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And he hath sent me with a message to bind up the brokenhearted. I tell you what, 
you, you, you don't have to look very far around you or maybe in your own experience to find that there's a lot of people that are struggling with a broken heart. That their hearts are broken. Maybe it's because of what's going on around them. Or maybe it's their own experience. But the gospel message is sent to bind up to help the broken heart. The gospel message is going to give balm in the midst of a sin-sick soul. The gospel message is to bind up, not to tear apart, not to destroy, not to put down, but to encourage in the Lord. He says, the spirit of the Lord has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You find somebody that's a captive, captive to their own sin, captive to their own bondage. Captive to their own fears, their own anxieties. And he says right here, he says, the gospel message of Jesus Christ has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. You find somebody that's captive and you bring them a message of liberty. Brother, Brother Danny mentioned in his prayer, the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about right here. Did you know that, that you can take all your burdens? There's not any burden. There's not any challenge. There's not any difficulty that's too big for the Lord. We're, we are instructed to take our burdens to the Lord. We are. Uh, it, it, it serves as a great reminder to us if we can just be remembered. That really and truly the Lord knows about our burdens before we go there. But we're taught to take our burdens and, and we're to cast our cares upon the Lord. And then we're to be reminded over and over and over again. That ultimately the battle's the Lord's. Do you know it helps to put it in, in perspective. It really does. The scriptures just serve as reminders over and over again. That this problem is bigger than me. I don't have the power to deal with it. I don't have the power to overcome it. The battle is the Lord's. So you take it to the Lord. And then I want to encourage you in this. You take it to the Lord. And then you leave it there. Lord doesn't need any help. In us fixing things. If the Lord gives us light and wisdom and understanding, we do all we know to do. But I tell you, there's some things that we can't fix. And rather than be overcome with fear and worry and anxiety, things that you can't fix, things that are not in your control, you take it to the Lord and you leave it there. Let me tell you, life's too short to just pick it up and carry it along with you along the way. If you can fix it, fix it. But if you can't, you take it to the Lord. And you give it to the Lord. Now I do believe that we are to ask the Lord when we're in the midst of a trial and difficulty. Lord, what would you have me to learn in this experience? Lord, is the purpose of this to draw me closer to you? To help me to depend upon you more? But Lord, what would you have me to learn in the midst of this trial? So... The second one, right here, I'll just finish this. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Satan would have us to be in bondage. He's not necessarily specific talking about being in prison right here. What he is talking about is being in bondage to sin and to Satan. And he says right here, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. He says also the gospel is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our God. And then this one right here. Anybody ever mourn? He says right here, the gospel is to bring about 
comfort to those that mourn. I, I believe what he's saying is that with all the unrest and all the anxiety and all the discouragement that's going on, that through the gospel message and through Jesus Christ, that in the midst of all that, somehow we can be encouraged, not by what's going on, but by the presence of the Lord and the strength of the Lord. And we can still somehow, by the grace of God, shine the light that God's given us. We can. That we ourselves aren't just totally overwhelmed and pitch in the towel and give up. But we've got something. Some folks refer to it as a strong constitution. I believe right what he's talking about the inward man, the spiritual man on the inside that's encouraged by the Lord. That we're just not overwhelmed by what's going on. Do you know what? Really and truly, we shouldn't be surprised. It says that evil men and seducers wax worse and worse. So it doesn't say they get better. They wax worse and worse and they want to make it worse and worse on you. But you've got something. Let me see if I can put it this way. You've got something that's not just a weapon to battle against it. But you can overcome it. You're over it. You're an overcomer through Christ. You are. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes. That's strange. Beauty for ashes. Anybody got any ashes in their life? You got any areas that Boy, if you could, you'd like to sweep them under the rug. You'd like to kind of hide them. Can't hide them from the Lord. Got any failures in your life? You say, if I had it to do over, boy, there's some things I'd do different. Well, we can't. But it's amazing how that God can even take those ashes... And if he sovereignly chooses, he can bring something out of them. Now don't go and just create a bunch of ashes expecting the Lord to do it. That's tempting the Lord. The Lord's not obligated to. I've mentioned before, I can take a good thing and make it bad. But the Lord can take a bad thing and make it good. He can. He says... To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. This is why he does it. He says, by the way, with this message that you're going to be encouraged by. With this spirit that's going to be encouraging you and helping you along. He says, you're going to be described as being called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. <clears throat> One of the things that Elder Compton taught me just in a casual conversation that I really didn't, uh, he, he, just, he just shared this in a casual conversation. I'm sure Brother Mark heard it and maybe Sister Anna, you may have already known this. But one of the things that he shared, he said, do you know that, that, uh, that when trees are strengthened, it's through some of the most turbulent storms. It's when the wind blows the trees back and forth and the roots of the tree go, grow deeper and the fiber of the trees grow stronger. And so that almost explains right here that when we go through 
great difficulties and trials and experiences. Our roots go deeper in the Lord, not as shallow. And our fibers are strengthened as they sway back and forth. They're strengthened rather than made lighter. And he says, so this is how you're described. If you hear this gospel message and it makes a difference in your life and you apply it in your life and your soul is encouraged, then when everything around you seems to be falling apart, you're described as trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. You're strong, you're steadfast, you're able to weather the storm, weather the storm because of what the Lord has given you and done in you. You're strong in the Lord. And then he says, so if we wonder why all this happens the way that it does, why we go through these experiences and God strengthens us, why he gives us the gospel message to encourage our souls. He says the bottom line right here is that the Lord be glorified. Do you know really and truly... Really and truly, we shouldn't worry that much about our life. If our lives just lived in such a way that God is going to be glorified. I know we all do. I mean, everybody here, we probably worry about our lives and we worry about the lives of those that are around us. But really and truly, what we ought to be worrying about is, Lord, is the life that you've given me and the way that I'm living it in such a way that you're going to be glorified and encouraged that your people encouraged, will I be a witness and a light in the midst of a dark and difficult time? So the second reason, oh, and, and verse 4, I love this right here. This gives uh, encouragement to the generations that follow us. And he says, this message is going to help the Lord's people. And he says, and by the way, I love this. And they shall build. I, I, I'm just more inclined to building up than tearing down. I hope that I stay that way. I hope the Lord blesses me with that mindset. But he says, And they shall build the old waste. And they shall raise the former desolations. And they shall repair the waste cities and the desolation of many generations. I don't know if it will happen. But that's the desire and the prayer. That God will restore in the day in which we live. I'm going to just scan through and mention a few more reasons that we that we go to church. Got a few more, got about five more, and I'm just going to touch on them right here and tell you some really good reasons that we go to church. Number one, we go to church because the Lord tells us to go to church, and we should be delighted to do what the Lord tells us to do. Number two, we go to the church because the gospel is preached, and it encourages our soul, and it helps us in the most difficult of times. Number three, we go to church, and I alluded to this just a little bit, but Psalm 7. 73 talks about Asaph, and going to church helps us to hit the reset button. It does. Asaph, in Psalm 73, he said, when I was living out in the world, and we can compare it to our week out in the world, as we go to work, as we, as we associate with people out in the world throughout the week, before long, we begin to be affected by it, and we begin to think like the people that we're around. And Asaph in 73, Psalm 73, he said, you know, I saw, I saw the wicked. And he said, I almost was swayed by them and I was enticed by them. He said, until I went to the house of the Lord. And he said, then I understood their end. What does that mean? I'm just paraphrasing it right here. When you and I go to the house of the Lord, it's like hitting the reset button. It's like getting our thinking in perspective. It's like saying, you know, I was thinking and I was enticed by the world. But now that I'm with the fellowship of the saints, now that I'm hearing the gospel proclaimed, now that I'm hearing God's word and I'm singing the songs of Zion, all of a sudden it helps me to think more clearly and more like I ought to think. The fourth reason, Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child 
best way that you train up a child is by your example. I will be forever grateful in my life for the example of godly grandparents on both sides of my family. My, my parents were good parents, but my grandparents were my spiritual connection to the church and to the Lord, and I'll always be thankful for that. You are teaching your children and your grandchildren by your example. And so that's one reason. If God has blessed you with children and grandchildren, you have the responsibility to the Lord, to the Lord, to set that example and be in the house of the Lord. And the Lord at some point in time, He tells us right here, he says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I had a minister tell me, he said, you know, my child has gone in a wayward fashion. And he said, I believe that verse, and I believe that he says that, he, that he'll not depart from it when he's old. But he says, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older myself now, and I don't know if I'm going to live to see it. I don't have the promise that I'll live to see it. But I do have the promise that if I'm raising them in the, rearing them in the right way, that God will bring them back, whether I see it or not. Another reason is train up a child and you do it by example. And being in the house of the Lord. Your children are going to see and your grandchildren are going to see if it's a priority to you in your life. And they'll remember that. Maybe while you're here, but they'll also remember it after you've gone on to be with the Lord. It's the example of my grandparents is more profound today than it was even at a very vulnerable age of the teenage years when I needed it most. I see the steadfastness that they set, the example that they set, and it's an encouragement to me. You right now are an encouragement to those that are around you. The next reason that I'll mention. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, 16, it talks about being able to offer a spiritual sacrifice. We don't come to the house of the Lord and bring bulls and goats and lambs and slay them in the form of a sacrifice. We don't do that because we don't have to. Because we have one sacrifice that paid the price in full, and that's Jesus Christ. But the best way that we can offer our lips as a praise of sacrifice is coming to the Lord's house and singing praise to the Lord, talking to the Lord, encouraging one another. We don't offer those sacrifices like they offered in the Old Testament times. Because we have a new and better way, and that's through Jesus Christ who paid the price in full once and for all. The next one that I'll wrap up with right here is that going to the house of the Lord makes us accountable to the Lord. Do you know that it's not our nature to be accountable. Children don't want to be accountable to parents. Husbands don't want to be accountable to wives and wives don't want to be accountable to husbands. And then if it's followed on and continued without bringing restraint upon it, we end up that we don't want to be accountable even to God. Going to the house of the Lord brings about a measure of accountability to the Lord. Number one, in John, 3 John, I'll say verse 4, and if you go there, you'll know why I didn't mention the chapter. But in 3 John, verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Now, first of all, we ought to go to church because... It brings a great deal of joy to our parents. It does. It, that's what John says right here. You talk about parents that are following the Lord and they're praying for their children and they're begging God to, to help their children, watch over their children. Maybe their children have been wayward for a season 
And you see that child walk in the church doors and I tell you what, there's not anything in the world that causes that, the heart of that mother or that father to rejoice. One reason you ought to go to church is because it's going to make your mother and father really happy. They're going to be rejoicing in the Lord. But that's not the only reason for going to church. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the faithful. And it talks about how that they were faithful to serve the Lord even when their life was on the line. We may face that at some point. We, we certainly may. It talks about those that were beaten, those that their life was taken away because of their faithfulness. I hope that God will give us the stamina, the strength, the encouragement, the grace if we face that time. I, I have to tell you that I never really thought that we would in our lifetime. I thought it might happen in the lifetime of some of the children or grandchildren, but I never really thought that it would. But I have to tell you, based on... Now, I don't spend a lot of time watching the news, any station. But I'll tell you what. I can see where some of those liberties may be challenged on a long-term basis. Where are we going to land if that happens? Here's what... Some of those folks were willing in Hebrews chapter 11 to sacrifice their life. They realized that they were pilgrims and strangers and really and truly when it got down to it, all they had in this life was their relationship with the Lord and being able to worship the Lord as the Lord had put on their heart to do. And they were willing to sacrifice and suffer. But here's the reason, and this sort of, to me, caps it all while we go to the Lord's house. In John chapter 4, we'll start with verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay, there's a message solely in this. But he says, the way I interpret it, in order to be a worshiper, as he says, a true worshiper, we need two things right here. We need the Spirit. Only God can bless with the Spirit. In fact, Lord's promised that if there's two or three gathered together in my name, if there's two or more that are gathered together in my name, he says, there am I in the midst of them also. He just simply means he's going to be there and meet. If we choose to meet and we meet together in his name, it doesn't take a, la a large number of people. Uh, that would be wonderful. But if there's two, the Lord's promised to meet there. So he says there's two things that are necessary to be a true worshiper. Now, let me just ask you, wouldn't you like to be described as being a true worshiper? I'm not talking about being described by those that are around you. I'm talking about being described by the Lord. I mean, it, if, if you don't believe that, if, if we're off base here, then I encourage you to find the right way. Because more than anything else, more than just having the title Primitive Baptist or Old School Baptist. We need to be true worshipers. And there's two things that are necessary right here to be a true worshiper. And he says, number one, it requires the Spirit of the Lord. And the Lord's already said, if you're meeting together in my name, I'm going to be with you. So he's almost guaranteed that if we assemble together to worship the Lord, that he's going to be there with us. So when you come to the house of the Lord, it doesn't matter who's here and who isn't. Most important thing is, is the Lord here? He's already promised. And by the way, do you know what? He got here before you did. 
He got here this morning before I did. Because He's promised to be here. And He'll be here next week as well. And look what He says right here. He says, The true worshipers shall worship Me in spirit. But He also says there's another element and aspect to it right here. Does this mean that the Lord is not in other assemblies and in other places? Not at all. I believe that the Lord manifests Himself in many areas, in many ways, in many places that we don't have any idea about. Because the Lord has a, a vast, He's got a big family. And He takes care of His family. And He feeds His family. And He helps His family. And He sustains His family. But He says right here, He says there's two things that are vital for you to be described by God as a true worshiper. And that is that you worship God in spirit. And He says, I've already promised to be there. But He says, you also worship God in truth. He said, it's vital. You worship God in spirit. You worship God in truth. And then look at what he says right here. And he said, God is the spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in spirit and in truth. And the latter part of verse 23 that we just kind of skipped over, but it's very important. Here's the main reason. It says, for the Father, not mom, not dad. Well, I'm thankful for those examples of godly parents and grandparents along the way. But he says, the Father seeketh such to worship Him. The Father seeks you to worship Him. And He seeks you to worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you feel like the Lord's shown you the truth, you have the privilege and the obligation to worship Him. And He says, because the Father is seeking you to do that. So seven reasons I think that I've I've mentioned, this is certainly not all inclusive, but that are, I think, valid reasons that the Scriptures teach us that we go to the house of the Lord. So... For those that have experienced in this window of time that we've not been able to worship, have experienced this increasing anxiety and being unsettled and unsure, maybe some of these areas that we've mentioned are the very reasons that you've had those feelings. Because for the child of God that's been touched by the Spirit of God, It's just inbred in you to have a desire to worship the Lord. And for that, He's created this wonderful entity of His church family, of His church body. And He's seeking such to worship Him. May God bless you.